Hi, it's Laurence Bradford. Welcome to season two of the Learn to Code with Me podcast, where I'm chatting with people who taught themselves how to code and are now doing amazing things with their newly found skills. FullStack Academy is a coding bootcamp that helps people become software developers at companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook. FullStack also offers a part-time bootcamp prep course that prepares you for admission into selective coding bootcamps. Visit bootcampprep.io to learn more and get a $500 scholarship with the code LEARNWITHME. Hey listeners, welcome to the Learn to Code With Me podcast. I'm your host, Laurence Bradford. In today's episode, I talk with Saron Yidberic, the founder of Code Newbie. Code Newbie is a supportive community of folks learning how to code. There are Code Newbie meetups, a Twitter chat, and of course, the Code Newbie podcast. And let me tell you, the girl behind Code Newbie, Sarong, is a total rock star. In our conversation, we talk about what she was doing before she began learning how to code, her decision to attend Flatiron School, a coding boot camp in New York City, her apprenticeship at ThoughtBot, and then her later job at Microsoft. Saron drops so many nuggets of wisdom. I cannot wait for you to listen. Remember, you can get the show notes for this episode plus a full transcript at learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. Enjoy. Hey, Saron, thanks so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So could you do me a big favor and just introduce yourself quickly to the audience? Sure. My name is Saran. I'm a developer and founder of Code Newbie. We are the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. And I have my own podcast called the Code Newbie Podcast. Yes. Awesome. And I'm sure a bunch of the listeners are already huge Code Newbie podcast fans. Awesome. Yes. I hear great things. I love I love the podcast as well and listen to it all the time. Could you just give us some like insight into what you were doing before you began learning how to code? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was working in startups. I was doing a bunch of different things that were not technical, not product related, but supported the product. So I've done a lot of sales, some marketing, some design work, and I felt very frustrated by how valuable I felt that I was and how much I could contribute and all that. And I just felt like I was sitting next to these awesome engineers who were building really cool things and had screens filled with code that, you know, I didn't even know what it was called at that point. I just saw a bunch of things I didn't understand. And I saw that and I thought, man, I really want to be a part of this. You know, I want to be a, a big part of the experience of our users. And so I quit my job, uh, learned to code, and uh, now we're here. So like how long ago was that out of curiosity? Yeah, that was about three years ago, I think, three, three and a half. And I feel like you've had such a wild ride since. And I, of course, I know this because I've, you know, read your LinkedIn and your bio <laughs> and your website and other places. Yeah. But when you decided to, uh, you know, quit your job at the startup and uh, learn how to code, what was kind of like the first thing you did? Like what was your first, like what was your game plan? Sure. So for me, the big thing was I wanted to test out if I was actually serious about it or if it was just that the idea of coding seemed very nice, you know. Um, and so I said to myself, OK, I'm going to give myself a month to figure out if I'm actually serious about this or if it's just, you know, a cute idea that I wouldn't actually want to do. And so I used uh, the Flatiron School 
which ended up being the boot camp that I attended, had uh, an, an open curriculum. They had their pre-work. And it was basically just, you know, a curated list of resources that started from just what is the command line to what is Git to a little bit of JavaScript and a lot of Ruby and some Rails. And so I just followed that curriculum and I went through each thing piece by piece and I, I think I ended up doing that curriculum at least two and a half times by the time the program actually started. But, you know, I quit my job and I spent at least 12 hours a day, every single day, going through that and reading and taking notes and just really trying to soak it all in. And I really dove deep. And it was a really awesome process because, you know, I was I was so focused on just making sure that this was for me before I made any permanent long-term decisions that I got to really immerse myself in it and focus on it a hundred percent. So my days were mostly alone in my apartment, uh, you know, with my hair up and my cup, many, many cups of coffee, uh, and just trying to get through all those coding tutorials. So I, I think what you did is so smart and like you, you know, tested the waters before really jumping in and making a big, um, like financial and time investment, because as we all know, lots of coding boot camps or both of those, right? It takes a lot of time. Yep. It's definitely exactly. financial. Yeah. Uh, but how did you like even know about the Flatiron School pre-work? Sure. So I did a bunch of research. You know, at the beginning, I I had been in the tech industry enough to know that there was a thing called code and that there is a thing called programming. And I'd heard of, you know, a couple languages here and there, but I just did a bunch of research. You know, I think Quora was probably one of the biggest tools that I used. And I looked up questions like, you know, what what is code? What is what's the right programming language to learn? What are the pros and cons? Uh, you know, the reality is there there's no right answer for any of those questions. And I learned that very quickly because everyone has their own opinion. But I gathered a lot of notes and, you know, had a little, a little notebook full of the pieces of information that I found. And I got to a point where I said, okay, I think I probably want to learn Ruby. It, it was basically between Ruby and Python. I said, I think I want to learn Ruby. I think the community is a little bit bigger. Uh, it looks like a bunch of there's more options in terms of courses and boot camps that teach Ruby. So it felt like a, a safer decision. And once I decided that, then it became, OK, so what are my learning options? And so I looked at a bunch. I looked at you know, just entirely self-taught using things like Code Academy and Code School and Treehouse and those online resources. I looked into going to um, the professional continuing education programs at established universities like NYU has one uh, I think I think Columbia might have one too and I looked at those options I came across the idea of boot camps I looked at those so I really just made a big list of all the possible options and I think that's when it's really important to reflect on who you are and what is best for you and you know I went to a boot camp and for me that was the right decision but you know nothing works for everyone Right. And so for me, I said, you know, I I want to try the self-taught thing for a little while because I, I want to, again, make sure that this is serious and this is really what I want to do. But once I have that answer, I really benefit from having structure and guidance and having deadlines. And, you know, those external forces really, really help me focus. And so once I decided that it, you know, it was pretty clear that I needed to do a boot camp or a class and, uh, you know, I came across the Flatiron School was one of probably the top five programs that I had uh, I've been looking at. And what really got me, honestly, and this is this is slightly embarrassing, but it's the truth. What really got me was their promo video. They had this beautiful I think it was like a 60 second promo video. And 
I, I can't even tell you how many times I watched this thing. I don't even know if it's still up anymore, but I watched it so many times because when I looked at the way that a lot of other programs were marketed, they used a lot of, you can be a ninja and a software expert and a warrior and like, you know, those kinds of words that frankly didn't really connect with me. And you know, because, you know, I, I personally feel like going through one class that's three months long, like I just I just don't believe that that's going to make me a senior developer. Uh, so that, you know, I, that just didn't really do anything for me. But when I looked at that video, it was a lot of just, you know, you are great the way that you are and you are creative and you want to make a difference in the world and we are going to help equip you and give you skills to help you kind of reach the potential you already have instead of make you into a different person, if that makes sense. And I don't know if they meant to do that, but that's the message I took from it. And like every time I got really upset or, you know, frustrated with code, I would just watch that video and just think to myself, I could do this. I could totally do this. So really it was their marketing. <laughs> their marketing and that promo video totally won me over. No, that's so awesome. And I, I'm thinking as you're saying that, I'm like, well, I really hope they still have it online. I and mean, right. this was like how many years ago you're still talking about the promo yep. video, right? Like clearly it made an impact. They should, Good promo video. Right? Yeah. They should get it back online if, it, if it's for some reason not. So yeah, Flyer in School, I, I hear awesome things. I haven't gone through, you know, the program myself, but Definitely hear great things about it. And also just totally out of curiosity, but how long was uh, Flat Iron School around, like when you went? We were the fourth cohort, so they'd been around for just about a year. Okay, cool, mm -hmm. cool. And I guess at that time you were already living in New York, so it was probably also convenient to go to um, a like a boot camp that was in New York rather than another city like San Francisco. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that was you know, a big part of it, too, um, was just, you know, the logistics and the finances around it. Staying in you know the area was super, super helpful and a big part of the decision. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So, OK, so you go to a flat iron school as you know, like a three month program. You're done. Uh, how, what was that experience like? And like, what did you do after that? Yeah, it was really hard. It was super freaking hard. And, you know, I was I felt like I. For me, that was a very expensive decision to make. You know, I had to, you know, borrow money from people to make sure that I could afford it. And I took it incredibly seriously. Like I said, I did the pre-work at least two and a half, maybe even three full times before I even stepped foot in the classroom. And in class, you know, I, for the most part, sat in the front row. I answered all the questions. I hogged all the TAs. Like I was going to get my money's worth. I was very determined to make the most that I could. Um, from that opportunity. And so for me, I came into it with the mindset of no one is going to give me this education. No one's going to give me these skills. I'm going to have to earn it and I'm going to fight for it. And I don't really care, you know, what, what it takes and what it costs. And so I think that, you know, if, if you do decide to move forward with something as intense and expensive and time consuming, and, you know, it's not even that it's just time consuming. It's that it's all consuming, you know, like that's, that's your life for, for many months. And if you decide to do that, I think you have to go in with that mentality. And, you know, I had classmates and people who treated it more as a, they're going to give me my coding skills. And I don't think that worked as well. Um, I knew there are people who like didn't do the pre-work or just, you know, kind of skimmed through it and they definitely didn't get as much out of it as I did. And so for me, it was very, very intense and I took it incredibly seriously. And I think that that really, really helped me make the most out of that opportunity. Once it was over, we actually had, and it's really unfortunate because I don't think they do this anymore, but 
we had a science fair and it was an opportunity to meet with local employers and they would come in and do, you know, we demo our applications and, you know, the things that we made. And that was, I think it was either the week that we graduated or a week before, I'm not entirely sure. And when we did that, everyone but me had, you know, many apps to show and had all these cool things they built. I had one app. I had my one app and I thought it was pretty cool. It was a note-taking app for video. So you'd watch a video and in the same screen, you can type notes and you have a little timestamp and a little marker that appears on the progress bar. And so your notes and your videos are always um, always correlated and you can kind of go back and press play on the note and it'll take you back to the place where you are at the video. And with this app, you know, I, I was very realistic with the skills that I had at that point. I've been coding for a couple months. I'm not going to blow anyone away with my awesome coding abilities. So I didn't focus on that. You know, I focused on the process and I focused on making sure I knew why I was making the technical decisions I was making. I focused on things like the design. You know, I, I drew the, um, the landing page of our website is a, a cartoon where it's basically, so it's called noted. And so it was, uh, sheets of notebook paper kind of like floating down in a staircase format across the page. And, you know, I drew that and I made that like a really beautiful illustration. And I, I focused on the things that I felt would help me stand out compared to my other classmates. And I think that really, really, really helped in pitching myself and in making sure that I got interviews. So from that science fair, I think I got at least six interviews and I actually got an interview booked that same night. Uh, and then a week after we graduated, um, myself and one of the students, we were both selected to be uh, what is it called? Hacker in residence, hackers in residence, which is a seven month program where we got to code for um, a nonprofit called the New York Tech Meetup in New York City. And so that was my first job when I graduated. So, okay, you went to Flatiron School, right? You took it very seriously. I loved what you said, like how you fought for it. Um, it was all consuming. You had the science fair at the end. Instead mm -hmm. of building multiple apps, you built one really, like, as you said, it wasn't, I mean, it was a good app, but you really focused on the design, you focused on the process, and you really spoke about those things when you met with employers at the science fair. You yep. got six interviews from this science fair, and one of those was um, the, hacker, the Hackers in Residence, and that's where yes. you were after for six months. Yep. So yep, you got it. that is so cool. So could you, I, I, I honestly, I don't really know myself and I'm sure listeners don't either, but could you explain what you did during the hackers in residence? Sure. Yeah. Uh, that job was very difficult. So it was myself and one other developer. We both graduated from the Flatiron School. And the idea behind the program was to build a platform for the New York Tech Meetup. And when we were initially pitched this, I thought we were going to have a CTO or a senior developer or kind of someone who had done it before. And we had um, kind of a, a mentor person who checked in with us once in a while, but it's not really the same as having someone there full time to make sure you don't do something really stupid. And so a lot of it was just us figuring out what to do. I remember, I remember very vividly, uh, I think it was the first or second day that we were there and we all sat down. It was myself, the other developer, the team, um, and uh, someone from the Flatiron School was kind of like making introductions. And at the, beginning of the meeting, at the beginning of the meeting, she turned and looked at me and said, so where do we start? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've never done this before, right? <laughs> this is my first job. <laughs> and so a lot of it was just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that it stuck and hoping that we didn't make a totally detrimental decision. Um, I learned very quickly that 
the coding part is not the hard part. It's deciding what to code and when to code and how much to code and how do you know if you're coding the right thing. It was all that that made it really, really difficult. And so, you know, we made a lot of mistakes 10 times before we made the right decision, if we got to the right decision. So I think it was a, a very good growing experience. You know, I, I learned a lot, but I think I learned it a lot more painfully than I had to. Got it. Wow. That's, that's, that's super interesting though. I, and you know, I, as I said, I, I've had like, I've read your LinkedIn and your like bio and about page, but I, I did not know that you did that for six months before the NY tech meetup, but mm-hmm. that is super interesting. Yeah. And it sounds that I just love that story when, 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 sorry, when, when the person <laughs> looks over is like, so where do we begin? And you're probably like, I'm, well, I was just about to ask you that. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was like, I thought you had an agenda. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> So when you were working there, was it just, so it's just you and one other person? Like there must've been other mm-hmm. people, like, were you at an office? Like where? Yeah. Yeah. We had an office and so it was me, the other developer. And then we had two full-time, uh, people who worked at the New York Tech Meetup. And later on we ended up getting uh, an additional person, but yeah, it was the four of us, you know, and it was nice because they were very, very incredibly patient with us. And, you know, they were very, I mean, they were, I think for the most part, happy to just have help and start making progress on this idea that they've had for a while. Uh, and they're awesome. I mean, they're just, it was a really great working environment. Um, and it just, you know, for me, it just made me feel like, ah, oh, I really want to do right by them. You know, like I really want to make something that's really good and that, is so useful. And I think as a new programmer, it was it was just very frustrating to be so aware of the gap between where you are and where you want to be. You know, um, the famous Ira Glass quote that I absolutely love that talks about how, you know, he wishes as a beginner, someone told him that, you know, you have good taste, but you don't necessarily have the skill. And there's that gap that's so frustrating. And you keep doing things and you build things and you create and you write, and it's just never as good as you want it to be. And a large part of that residency was spent with me feeling like, darn it, you know, like I just, I wish I could do better and be faster and I wish I could deliver the way that I imagine it and just kind of having to just deal with the fact that I was probably going to fall short for a good amount of time because I'm learning and that's the price of learning. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I love that quote too, but uh, the, the taste and the skill mm-hmm. and there's the gap between. So after this experience, and then on to the next things. Like, when did you kind of, was there ever like a, what do they call it? Like a eureka moment where you felt like you had closed that gap? Or do you feel like you're still closing that gap? Or <laughs> There is no moment. Um, <laughs> I felt like, you know, I, I feel like the, the thing that I think is most frustrating to me about programming is you battle with a concept or a feature or a tool for a long time. And while you're battling, it feels like you're never going to get it. And then you get it and then it feels obvious. And I feel like there's a very small amount of time, maybe five seconds, where you feel good about it. You know, I feel like like 90% of it is spent being just like angry and feeling stupid. And then 9% is spent feeling like, oh, obviously. And then there's 1% of happiness. So, you know, if I had any eureka moments, they definitely weren't permanent. Um, But, you know, and I think that's the other thing, too, is I feel like as soon as I (laughs) – I remember um, with, you know, Rails 5, I think it was a few months ago, became, you know, standard and and stable and all that. And when – and I was so annoyed (laughs) because I was thinking to myself, oh, 
I'm finally getting comfortable with Rails 4 and I feel like I know what's going on now. I have to upgrade to Rails 5. This is bullcrap. You know, like that's how I feel a lot of the time is just as soon as I think I know what I'm doing, I start to feel a little more comfortable. There's a new technology. There's an upgrade. There's, you know, a new standard. There's something else to learn. Uh, and that's, you know, one thing that I feel is very maybe not so great about me is I, I hear a lot of my developer friends go like, oh, yeah, it's going to be really cool and really exciting. And I'm just like, oh, I just wish things could stay the same. So, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, in my experience. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that you said that because at the same time, I think that the fact that with just technology in general, how rapidly things are changing and there's an update or there's some, there's some new feature or whatever – it kind of levels the playing field for people That's who true, are just yeah. starting out, right? It's like the good news is everyone has to keep learning, not just you. Right? Yeah, like, that's true. Even that's the advanced true. people um, have to, you know, continue to learn. I remember I was chatting with a woman the other evening who studied computer science in college, and um, she she doesn't do anything with computer science now, but a bunch of her friends from college still do, and she was like, "It's just so interesting how." The, what they learned in college, the programming language, none of them use it today. But not only that, like they're like three things away from that. Yeah. Like, and this was um, she maybe went to school, I think, in, in the in the 90s or something when she was. Um, yep. Yeah. in computer science. But anyway, yeah, I think at the same time, it's like kind of reassuring that mm -hmm. there's always something more to learn. But for everyone, not just beginners. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yep. So, OK. So after the hacker at, at the hacker residency or the NY Tech meetup. What was your next move? Because that was just for six months. Yeah, it ended up going a little bit longer. Um, I think it may have ended at like seven or eight months. But yeah, after that, um, you know, it, it's interesting. The person that I worked with and I, we had very different reactions to that experience. I think he looked at that and he said, okay, now I'm ready to get, you know, a full-time job and like really dig in. And I looked at that and I went, oh my God, I need to learn a lot more stuff. And so for me, it really showed that I was capable enough and new enough to make things work, but it was going to be very ugly and not put together well, and it wasn't going to be best practices. And for me, you know, I, I look at coding as a craft and I really want to make sure that I'm, you know, following best practices and really thinking about how well and how elegant the solution can be. And so I instead applied for the ThoughtBot apprenticeship because I really want to get back to a place where I felt like I was going to be mentored. And uh, I felt like I was going to learn a lot from much more experienced people. And so I applied for that and I got it, but it started basically like four months later. So they wanted me to start for the, I think it was the winter spring apprenticeship. So I basically had a couple months off. Uh, and in those couple months, I focused a lot on Code Newbie and working on a couple of things there. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay. Now you have to explain the ThoughtBot apprenticeship. <laughs> Sure. So the ThoughtBot apprenticeship was awesome. I mean, it was probably the most terrifying and the best thing I've, I've done um, as far as my learning and coding. So it was a three-month apprenticeship. And the idea is that they take people who are very close to being um, just having the skills of being like a full-time developer, but they need a little bit more work and a little bit more polish and experience. And even more specific than that, they needed to learn kind of the, the ThoughtBot way of doing things. And so um, I applied and got accepted. And each month you get a mentor and you, you know, it's kind of up to you and the mentor of what you do with that time together. But for me, I spent most of the time, um, well, at least half the time pairing with them. 
And the first month is spent doing, actually the first two months is spent doing kind of a toy project that you want to do. And the last month is spent doing actual client work. And it's awesome. I mean, ThoughtBot is just, it's such an incredible place to work and it's just full of such amazing people. And I really liked it because it wasn't, you weren't a code monkey, you know, you weren't just kind of sitting and, and taking direction and just figuring out how to make things work. You get to really be a part of the product decisions. And so, you know, I got to be part of design sprints and I got to use a little bit of my, you know, creativity and drawing skills, like that kind of thinking. And because I'd been in tech for, you know, for a while in startups specifically for a while, I was very, very comfortable in that world. And I was very comfortable with the concept of an MVP, which is a minimum viable product. And I was very comfortable with iterating very quickly and lean and those kinds of things. And so I felt really, really right at home with being able to contribute to the prototyping process and working with clients and that side of things. And I got to really focus on, okay, how do I take that and really make sure I'm a very solid programmer as well. Uh, so in that time, I, I think one of the hardest things I did was I learned Vim because my first mentor, you know, I was using Sublime before that. And my first mentor was just like, I can't do this. You need to learn Vim. I was like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> I did that. Uh, and that was incredibly, incredibly painful. Uh, but I think with two weeks of full-time, like very 100% committed full-time Vim practice, uh, I was able to be as comfortable as I was in Sublime and a little bit faster as well. Um, but yeah, it was spent, you know, most of the time pairing and working on client stuff. And it was a really, really great experience. So uh, that's so cool. That like, that sounds like so much fun. I mean, it, and the fact you get to wear different hats and you get to work mm -hmm. on different things and you get different mentors, like a new one every month, and then you get to work with clients. Like that sounds yeah. so exciting. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I love, like personally, I just, and I think that's why especially for like, as, as I mentioned before, I interview my first full-time job is not a startup, <laughs> but part of the draw was that I could wear many hats and get to work yes. on different things, get to work with different people. And yeah, that's, that's like, that sounds so awesome. Sit tight podcast listeners. We're taking a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Full Stack Academy is the leading coding bootcamp that helps students become great software developers and get jobs at top tier companies. Fullstack's Advanced Software Engineering Immersive course gives you the skills you need to launch your dream career in tech. The school's cutting-edge curriculum, based on current tech trends, drives a near 100% job placement rate for graduates. Fullstack alumni work at companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook, along with many others. Fullstack Software Engineering Immersive is taught on campus in New York City and Chicago and online everywhere through Fullstack's industry-leading remote immersive. Fullstack has established a $500,000 scholarship fund for the remote immersive as part of an initiative to improve access to its award-winning educational experience. Go to fullstackacademy.com to learn more. Fullstack Academy, making great people into great developers. Okay, so you were at ThoughtBot and the apprenticeship for three months. And then did you continue working there after? So they did make me a full-time offer, which I'm, I like literally cried when they told me because I just couldn't believe that they thought I was nearly good enough to be there. Um, but around that time, so it was an interesting time in ThoughtBot's kind of history because um, at the time where they were going to make me a full-time offer, they ended up having a hiring freeze and so they extended my apprenticeship by an extra month, kind of hoping that they would be able to make a full-time offer at the end of that month. But I didn't know if that was actually going to happen. So I you know, started interviewing and looking for jobs. 
Um, and basically at about the same time, I ended up getting an offer at Microsoft to be a program manager. And I decided to take that instead. Um, and, you know, I had very mixed feelings about it because the Microsoft position was not a technical one. It was program manager for a technical training program. So we had um, a program called Tech Jobs Academy, and it was a free four-month program for unemployed and underemployed New Yorkers. And so it was very much focused on you know, community and tech education and accessibility and a lot of things that I was very passionate about, but it wasn't focused on developing my coding skills. So while I was there, I got to kind of sneak coding in. I got to build like a couple prototypes and, you know, I had some, um, some coding fellows that I got to manage and like show stuff to. So I, I found a way to like sneak it into my role. Uh, but the majority of it wasn't, uh, wasn't a programming position. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think I, I can't just imagine like, you know, being in that sort of situation where it's extended one month longer. And of course, you're going to apply to other jobs during that time, because right. you, know, you know, who knows what's gonna happen at the end of the month. I think that's such a, I guess, interesting is a good word to use, I'm not sure. But like, it was kind of the choice between like coding or passions. And you, as you yeah. said, you were definitely working towards something you believed in, which I'm sure made it extremely fulfilling and enjoyable. But what I, and now, I, again, you mentioned before I hit the record button that you were working <laughs> in a co-working space at, while you were doing this, correct? Yes. So you weren't like in the big Microsoft office or anything? Nope. No, it wasn't. And um, there's a space in New York City and Flatiron District called Civic Hall, which is an amazing space. I love that space so much. And Microsoft was one of the founding sponsors of the space. And so uh, the whole team, the whole civic tech engagement team got to work out of there. And it was it was pretty cool. So maybe you can maybe you can speak to this. I'm not sure. And Side note, this is such like a self-fulfilling question because I'm super <laughs> curious to know like the difference between – because you had these really three interesting job experiences. You have the hacker in residence, which is like for a nonprofit. Then you have um, ThoughtBot, which is like a – like they have clients and they're doing like consulting or whatever you'd like to call it. And then you're working at Microsoft, one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Like what were those th – I just like the like the dichotomies. Like what were those experiences yeah. like? Like how were they different? Like what were the pros and cons? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way, honestly. So I think that no matter where I was, I felt like I was really, really being pushed to my you – know, to, to the edge of like my skills. And I felt like I was being forced to grow on the job. You know, even though the Microsoft job wasn't a technical one, it was a lot of things that I – hadn't really done before. You know, I've never managed a, a program. I, you know, we worked very closely with the community college system and with the New York city government. And, you know, I'd never worked in that type of partnership structure before. Um, and also just, you know, being, being in a place where you're representing a very big brand, you know, is, is a responsibility that I wasn't frankly used to before that. Um, so, you know, they were different in that the goals of, of each were slightly different but at the end of the day, I think what matters most is the, the actual team that you work with. And, you know, at Microsoft, I, I loved my team so, so, so freaking much. I had a really great boss and I had really great team members. And even though I was part of this huge organization, this huge international organization, I didn't feel like I was. You know, I felt like I had so much support that I could focus on the work that I was doing and I could focus on making sure I got it done. I didn't have to worry about office politics and, you know, being able to navigate these really strange, well, okay, I did have to navigate a couple things, but overall, <laughs> you know, I got to really focus on doing my job really well. And I feel like across those three positions, 
because the people I worked with and the, the leadership was very determined to make it a really great place for the employees and to put the employees in a place to succeed, it kind of didn't really matter what size and what structure everything else was in because they cared enough to make it really easy for me to do my job well. Yes. And I, I love what you said. And I always tell people this about like the people in your team and like oh, your yeah. boss and how Everything. important that is and like your day to day happiness. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's and, you know, that's like such an important message, I think, regardless whether it's like a huge company like Microsoft or a consulting company or a small nonprofit, just like the people you work with and just how they impact that day to day. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like when I when I think about my experience in the startup world before that, it was not very positive. And, you know, and that's the thing that I don't know if people really know this. Like when we talk about the tech industry, in my experience, there's the startup industry and like the, the developer industry. And they've, they've been very, very different for me. And I think it also kind of helps that I'm a Ruby developer and the Ruby community is generally known for being very kind and welcoming. But, you know, when I was in startups, I felt like I was always, worried about coming off a certain way or making sure that, you know, I was a part of the culture. And I, I just felt like I was, I spent a lot of time worrying about stuff that wasn't doing my job. You know, like I, I was worried about like, oh, am I hanging out, you know, with these people and you know, are, are we doing happy? Like I, I was worried about like all this crap that just should never matter on the job. And once I became a developer and, you know, the, the three organizations that I worked with, I felt like I was finally free. Like I felt like I was finally free to just be myself and just focus on being a really, really solid employee and not have to worry about all this other crap. And for that, I'm just I'm so, so grateful to those people for making that type of environment. Wow, that's so that's so awesome. And no, I feel like I feel like I'm sure there's listeners, even if they are not at a startup, but they can just they can just relate to. I don't want to call it office drama or like politics <laughs> or whatever. Like like yeah, no, I know exactly. I know I know what you mean. Like whether yeah, what you said. Like do do I go to happy hour? Do I go to so and so's birthday party? The coworker? I don't know. Like these different kinds of um, yeah, these things that don't really relate to your job, but they sort of yeah. do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, it, the reality is what, you know, how your coworkers feel about you does impact the work that you do and, you know, whether you get picked right. I mean, it was just, it couldn't be so high school so easily, you know, like it could just, it can so easily turn into, oh, well, I like you. So I'm going to bring you to a really important meeting where all of a sudden you are managing an account that you would never manage before. Like it can very easily become just a game of, do I like you and do you fit in? And, you know, and it can very easily not be that. And it can become just a, are you good enough to be at this meeting? Or, you know, am I the kind of boss, the kind of manager who's going to push you and nudge you when I feel like you aren't doing as well as you could? And I'm going to encourage you and try to bring out the best in you. You know, what, how well you do on the job, I think is so dependent on the tone and the way that decisions are made. And, you know, when those decisions are made for very stupid reasons, like, do I like you? It's incredibly painful and very frustrating. And when those decisions are made based on your actual potential, assuming that's, you know, even measurable and how hard you work, I think things are better for everyone. Yeah, no, awesome, awesome points. And I, and as you're speaking, I'm like, I have to ask this, I have to ask this. So when you're <laughs> interviewing and or, and when you're deciding like where to work when you were done, well, for any of those three um, positions, like after you finished Flatiron School, 
Were you thinking about that as you were making a decision? Like, were you thinking of like the the environment, like which would be like the best for you, most conducive and where it would be more merit based rather than like, um, you know, like the like I like you and whatever you want to yeah. call it, high school or whatever? Yeah, I, I feel like I was very, very naive. And, you know, in my world, you know, I'm I'm an immigrant. I come from a family of immigrants. And so our you know, growing up, my mentality has always been like, I'm so lucky and so grateful to be in this country and to have all the opportunities that frankly, my parents have given me like, I haven't really like earned half this crap. But you know, um, I, I feel so fortunate. And I feel like it is my responsibility to maximize every opportunity that I can possibly get. And I just kind of assumed that everyone had that value system. And I assume that everyone wants to work hard and wants to do well and that you are rewarded for your work. And that is totally not true. Um, you know, it's, it's true in the right places and it's not true in, in others. And I think that I was very naive to assume that as long as my intentions were good and my effort was good and my work was good and I was dedicated, that everything else would kind of fall into place. Um, and sometimes that happened and sometimes it didn't. And so when I was looking for jobs, I did try and pay attention to things like, is this a place where I can learn? Is this a place where I can grow? Is it a place where, you know, whose mission, the mission part honestly wasn't super crucial, but is it at least something that I can, I can get with, you know, is it something that I strongly oppose? Um, so I looked at that kind of thing, but looking back, there were some pretty, and I, and I talk to my husband about this all the time, there are clearly some big red flags that I chose to ignore because I didn't understand the repercussions of them. And I think that now if I were to look for a job, I would have a much, much better sense of what to look for and what to pay attention to and what questions to ask. But I think back then I just wasn't, I wasn't really aware of the repercussions of those things. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's so interesting. And, 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 you know, we're towards the end of the interview, but you just have been giving such, such interesting advice. So I, I want I want to end though with you talking about what you're doing today, talking about Code Newbie, how you started that, where it's going. So well, yeah, let's just like bring it up to present because I feel like we spent a yeah. lot of time, a lot of time. But it was I, I'm just <laughs> blown away, so fascinating. I think you gave us so many good insights that people can apply like to their own job hunt, um, awesome, and their you know their own careers um, in tech. But anyway, yeah, so let's, let's talk about Code Newbie and, and all that. Sure. So, uh, so I'll do like a, a brief background. I started Code Newbie about three, I think it's been almost three years, two and a half years, uh, because, you know, I went to a boot camp and before that, like I said, I learned to code on my own. And the biggest value that I got out of the boot camp was the community of people. It was just having people every single day that understood all the pain points and understood all the highs and the lows. And we cried when things didn't work and we high fived when it did. And it just made the journey so much more doable and bearable and accessible. And it really frustrated me that if you wanted to have that type of community, it was really hard to get that if you weren't part of a structured environment like a boot camp where you have to take months off of work and pay thousands of dollars. And it didn't feel like that was a very accessible option. And I knew that there were tons of people who were learning to code on their own. And I thought if they could just meet each other, things would be a lot better. So I started our first Code Newbie Twitter chat and it was just using the hashtag Code Newbie and it's every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. for one hour and I would just tweet out questions and there'd be questions like, you know, what are you working on? What language are you excited about? Uh, when did you start coding? And the questions were really just an excuse to get other people to start talking to each other 
And they did. And I thought it would last, you know, maybe a few months, but you know, it's been it's been almost three years. We've had over 130 Twitter chats at this point. And it's been absolutely incredible to watch people from all over the world share resources and share stories. You know, one of my favorite ones, a couple weeks ago, we had an episode on mental health, um, a, a podcast episode on mental health. And so we did a Twitter chat themed on that. And I mean, I was in tears like throughout the whole chat because people were offering up so much vulnerability and just so many just beautiful and empowering stories and sharing resources and supporting each other. And I mean, I learned a lot about my community and I was I was just so humble that they felt safe enough to share that type of stuff with all of us. And it was absolutely incredible to watch. Um, and, you know, the Twitter chats are a really great way to start conversations, but they're not a great way to unpack topics and really dive into someone's story. And my first job out of college was actually working at NPR. And I there's a, a period in my life where I thought I was going to be a journalist. Well, I guess I, I was a journalist. And um, and so I thought, well, a podcast is a really great way to unpack things. And so we started the Code Navy podcast. And the idea was to interview people at all different skill levels and to hear about the human side of tech. You know, there are lots of tech podcasts out there who um, that are very technical, right? Which makes sense because they're tech podcasts. But there weren't a lot of options for just hearing stories and hearing the how and the why and the what. And so we've had folks on who just started coding, who just got their first, uh, you know, apprenticeship or just graduated from you know, a program. Uh, and then we've had really awesome people like Yehuda Katz, who created Ember, who told just a beautiful story about how, you know, he grew up technically knowing how to code for many years, but just never believed in himself and never saw himself as a developer until I think like his mid twenties, uh, and talked about, you know, having to pick between, uh, was it eating lunch that day or taking, you know, the bus because otherwise you'd have to walk for an hour to get home. And just like these really incredible human stories of people at different levels who, at the end of the day, just want to do really cool stuff and want to build great products for people. Um, and that's been one of one of the things I'm just absolutely the most proud of. Uh, we've done 108 episodes as of as of today. Um, and so a couple months ago, I decided actually to to quit my job at Microsoft and to focus on Konubi full time, which is awesome and terrifying. <laughs> so that, that's what I've been up to. And um and yeah, and this April 21 and 22, we're actually going to do our very first Code Newbie conference called Codeland. Yep, yep, oh called gosh, Codeland. Wow. <laughs> where, where is it going to be? It's going to be in New York City. So you are totally invited. I hope you're able to make it. Uh, but yeah, and it's hosted at Microsoft, which worked out really well. I'm really glad I used to work there. <laughs> <laughs> right, building connections, keeping yep. the connections, like, right, nurturing them. That's that's awesome. And I, I just, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Saran. Like, <laughs> I just... So so fascinating and just so so interesting and I love how you're combining like your the, the journalism with tech and you're doing the yeah. podcast and as you said like bringing on the human side of things and it seems like such a good fit for you I mean it sounds like all of your you've had great like career experiences and everything before this was also a good fit but the podcast it's that that's just so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I was um, I was talking to my husband the other day and I was like, I feel like with Code Newbie, I get to do I get to pull from everything that I've done before. You know, like, you know, before I decided to do this, I was always kind of concerned that I had wasted my time with a particular skill that was never going to be used again. You know, whether that was coding or design or journalism or whatever that was. And I feel like 
between the podcast and the conference and, you know, we have meetups in a bunch of cities and we're still doing the Twitter chat. I feel like I really do get to pull from all the different experiences and, and lessons that I've learned into creating a really positive experience for people learning to code. So amazing. So awesome. You rock. So tell <laughs> people you. where they can find you online. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at Saran Yitbar, which is my first name, my last name. And I actually have um, a vlog that I do, which my mother hates. So that means it's really good. Um, she hates it. She's like, are you sure you should be making all that public? I'm like, it's fine. It's totally not embarrassing you at all. Um, <laughs> but it's it's funny because um, we had a, a New York City code, uh, sorry, a DC code newbie meetup recently. And someone came up to me and he was like, no, I listen to your podcast and then I watch your vlog and I can't believe it's the same person because I'm just an idiot on video. Um, so if you're curious about what I'm like in my real life, you're welcome to check that out. If you just search my full name, Saranya Barak on YouTube, you'll be able to find that. Um, and I would love for you to listen to the Codenubi podcast. If you go to codenubi.org, you'll see our, our podcast and all that. Um, and we're going to hopefully have tickets available soon um, for Codeland, our first conference. So keep a lookout for that. You can follow us on Twitter at Code Newbies, C-O-D-E-N-E-W-B-I-E-S. Awesome. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarang. Again, the show notes for this episode plus a full transcript can be found at learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this episode in the future, simply click the search icon in the upper navigation of the website and type in Sarong's name. The episode should appear at the top. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you sign up for my 10 free learn to code tips. You can find them right at learntocodewith.me. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.